And with that, good day, everyone. Welcome to Game Green and Goudreau right here on PercolatedMedia.net. This is Goudreau here, recapping week 13 of the NFL. So thank you all very much for listening once again. And I'm excited to talk about uh, numerous bullet points that I have to discuss what has been an eventful week here in Jetland between the quarterback controversy, between the game that was on Sunday against the Minnesota Vikings, between the news that broke yesterday about who the quarterback's going to be going forward, all that good stuff. As customary here on the show, I want to talk about what's happening here on the website. Point number one is that Garrett and I are currently putting the wrestling show on hold just because scheduling between the two of us has been an absolute nightmare, and I just have not been able to sit down and do the the commitment of watching back the old pay-per-views. So that'll be something we will definitely start doing, but at a date to be determined. Most likely when this show ends, we're looking to do in literally tag teaming. I will tag out of football. Won't be much talk in the off season until we get to like the draft time and some of the OTAs and any notable free agency moves. So Garrett will be stepping in to talk about baseball. He'll talk about his team, the Mets. I think that's, going to be what he takes over until football season starts again. So you'll get your sports content. It just won't be from me. It'll be from the big guy. And speaking of content from the big guy, that brings us to three men in a retrospective. And if you've been on our Facebook page and you see that cover photo, you're probably wondering what the hell that is. And as that post says on Facebook, Garrett is the definition of completionism especially when it comes to Stephen King, which is a topic near and dear to him. So Adam and I had to watch what the hell are these called the night shift collection. Apparently these were short films, what he called dollar babies, where he sold off the rights to a dollar and allowed these people to adapt his short stories. We're talking about three of those on this Friday show and then building up to a Steve anthology King set of shows. I'm going to pause so you all can recover from that pun that I've been dying to say here on the airwaves since I pressed play here on the recorder uh, because I, th- I think that's pretty clever. I mean, come on, that, that's at least a six on 10, maybe a seven, depending on how generous you're feeling. But we're doing that in Cat's Eye just to help fill out some shows to close out the year because our final two shows are going to be related to something that is coming out very soon. Had a previous movie that came out. Sequel's coming out very soon. So those two shows will be how we close out the year. Once we're done with Stephen King, we'll do our year-end review. Talk about the upcoming slate. Because 2023 is shaping up to be a very huge year. As far as the notoriety of the movies we're going to be discussing. Might be the biggest collection we have ever done. So more to come on that. So I think that's all the hoopla I have to provide about what's happening here on the website, so let's get to uh, Jets football. So going into this game against Minnesota, after Mike White had the big you know, game against the Chicago Bears, it was announced that he would start again against the Vikings, and I endorse this 100%. And this brings me to topic number one that I want to have when it comes to the outlook of the Jets. And this is more so among Jet fans this tangent. So if you're outside of the bubble, which I imagine is most of you, this might not be as contested an issue 
as it is for the Jet fan. There's two sides to every story. And there's always, uh, especially in Jets fandom, there it gets very heated. Seems like there's two camps. There's the people who believe that Zach Wilson should start for the rest of the year because he's the number two overall pick and we got to see what we have. Even though the offense has functioned better under Mike White than at least as far as a passing yardage standpoint over these two games than Zach Wilson has had for this entire season. Because Mike White is coming off back-to-back 300-plus yard games, which Zach White, Zach, Zach White, Zach Wilson has not done in his career, let alone this season. But there's also on that side the supporters who will say, but he's also five and two, and there's only two losses are to New England, which are not uncommon for the Jets. But you can also say he's the reason with a emphatic number one next to it that we lost those games because of him. And I do support that that notion, that claim that he lost those two games. I think with mediocre quarterback play at best, we win both of those games. And the season's totally different. So that's camp number one. Camp number two on the west side, I guess, of MetLife Stadium, if you want to make that the the, the neutral ground, are the, the people who believe Mike White should be the starter for the rest of the season for some reasons that the offense has, from a passing yardage standpoint, looked considerably better. He's not missing the easy throws that Zach Wilson was. He doesn't have those absurd turnovers that make you really scratch your head. And they feel he's earned the right to, let's see what he's got. And those people believe that Zach Wilson is damaged goods and needs a full-out reset. And some of those fans might even be willing to write him off completely. So that brings me to my personal opinion. And the opinions of Matthew Martin Goudreau are the premium exclusive rights of percolated media and any attempt to use them without my consent is strictly prohibited is that I do believe Mike White has earned the right to be the starter for the rest of the season. And I attribute this to two things. Number one is where the Jets are. As of today, which is December 6th, they are the number seven seed in the AFC. So they're still in the playoff mix despite the loss. And they have a one game lead over the Patriots and the Chargers who I think are the three teams that will be fighting for the rest of the year for that last spot. I think everything else is pretty much decided. It'll just come down to ordering and placement. But I believe that Mike White gives them a better chance to win right now. Not necessarily the future. We can worry about next season when we get there. But back-to-back 300-yard games, he's getting the ball to his playmakers. I believe that is worth more than trying to salvage Zach Wilson at this point. I think it can be done. I'm not going to write him off completely, but for the time being, I think Zach needs to get his shit together, find himself, and more importantly, he's got to win back the locker room. That's the one thing that the Mike White haters cannot deny is that the team has a very different vibe with him than they do with Zach Wilson. Maybe part of that is because of Zach Wilson's comments after that second Patriots game or his overall demeanor. But this is the thing that that I struggle with when I hear the people who just don't want Mike White to succeed. And this is where I, I'm going to come off as an asshole to some people on that side. 
but please hear me out. I get the sense, and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong if you're someone who has that opinion that it should be Zach Wilson and Mike White sucks. Mike White's story and the Jets being perpetual underdogs for their entire existence, including the Super Bowl win. They were the, the most famous underdog maybe in sports at that point that came away with a win. That mentality should lead you to fully support and endorse Mike White because he is the ultimate underdog. He was a fifth-round draft pick by the Cowboys. They got rid of him because of Cooper Rush. He joins the Jets. He's like a waiver-wire pickup by the GM, Joe Douglas. He's the backup last year. He comes in, has a 400-plus yard game. It beats the AFC champion Bengals, plays pretty well against the Colts and gets hurt and then has a terrible game against the Bills, which was not an exclusive thing to the Jets last year. And he comes in this year. He's still the backup. He rallies the team to a big win against Chicago after just an all-time low, at least for the season, against New England. To me, that, that screams underdog. That's like the identity of the Jets. So for me, I find it hard to root against that. So my stance is I want to roll with Mike White until he just either is injured or he has a game that is so astronomically bad that, or the season is lost. Like, let's say they're out of the playoff mix completely, like they've been mathematically eliminated. Then you say, all right, let's put Zach Wilson in, get his confidence back in some, you know, games that might have some meaning to him. But I, I think Mike White is the person you have to roll with. And and I, I feel that, and again, this is my, personal opinion, that some people would rather be wrong, I'm, I'm excuse me, some people would rather be right and miserable, get that vindication, that I told you so type of opinion that's proven true, rather than be proven wrong, but the end result is happiness. Because I think there's a lot of people who just want Mike White to fail, so they feel validated rather than watching this guy potentially lead this team to the playoffs, because it's still very much a factor in play. So that's what I don't get. He's he's an underdog. He suits the team. The team plays for him. And what was the last Jet quarterback to have back-to-back 300-yard games? Not a very common thing. In fact, three of his five starts for the Jets, he's thrown for over 300 yards. Now, that sounds sort of... Um, status quo for the modern NFL. But for a Jet fan, that's kind of uncharted territory. And who knows? Maybe Mike White turns out to be the guy next season. There, there's still a lot of game to be played, so who knows? But I'm not closing the door on Zach completely. I think the ideas of trading him are stupid because he has no value at this point. I think the idea that... um that he's completely unsalvageable. I think that's bullshit. But I, at the same time, I don't think you should start him just because he's the number two overall pick. And I talked about that a few weeks ago when, when this was announced, that he would be inactive. So let's talk about the game against the Vikings. So here's my, I guess, broadest big picture takeaway from Sunday. And this will 
probably be echoed by a lot of other people. I don't think this is my exclusive take, is that there were opportunities to win this game that the Jets did not take advantage of. Some people will point to one specific moment that should have happened that would have sealed the game, possibly. But I'm of the opinion that one play doesn't really decide a game, especially in one like like this where you have multiple opportunities. I don't want to put it all on the one drop that I'll talk about very soon. So I have a lot of things I want to cover about this game specifically. Because it's really a tale of two halves. In a literal sense. So there was a point where this game was 20-3 to Vikings. So that brings me to what I want to talk about with the first half. We'll get to the second half later because that's sort of a almost an entirely different game than what I was watching the first half. The Jets' offense really did not have as many opportunities to have these long drives because the, the Jet defense couldn't get off the field. That was the most, I guess, surprising thing for a defense that has been so great this year. They really struggled to get off the field on third and fourth down when playing the Vikings offense. And this was not a good game from Kirk Cousins. He didn't do anything astronomical. But they did enough to win. They scored touchdowns with the Jets settled for field goals. You can't win like that. No matter how good your defense is, they matched up okay against all the weapons that the Vikings have. Because the, the Jets and the Vikings, I think, are pretty similar offensively, where they have quarterbacks that are not up to the level of the talent around them. You look at the Dalvin Cook, you look at Justin Jefferson, TJ Hawkinson. You know, Adam Thielen's not what he used to be, but he's still very good. And you look at the Jets, where it's Mike White, Zach Wilson, doesn't matter. I don't think they're anywhere near as good as guys like Garrett Wilson or Elijah Moore, Michael Carter, Brees Hall, you name it. And Justin Jefferson only had, I think, seven catches for for 40-something yards and a touchdown. So it's not like he just dominated this game and put up his usual stats. So that's been consistent where the the Jets, when they've played these big receivers, like you know your Tyreek Hills, your Stephon Diggs, your, your Justin Jeffersons, they're not having these game-breaking type of performances. So credit to the, the, the defense for doing that part well. Big picture, but when you really fine tune what happened, the corners, Sauce and DJ Reed, were very grabby in the first half. And the officials really did not tolerate it whatsoever. They got flat, Sauce got flagged a few times for being a little grabby. And uh, obviously, DJ Reed got burned on the one Justin Jefferson touchdown. But the whole Defensive performance was not up to the standard we've seen in games past. And when you can't get off the field on third down, you're just going to get exhausted. No matter how good your endurance is, there's a certain, you know, the the tank's going to keep running. And when you don't have the ability to refuel, it makes it all the much harder to get a stop, especially with an offense like this who can just dump the ball off. Or Kirk Cousins could just say F it and throw it. For a 50-50 ball and Justin Jefferson usually comes down with it probably nine times out of ten. So first half, the, the defense was really struggling. There were some 
questionable at best calls. And look, I'm not someone to always use the tired excuse of blame the refs, but I believe that there was a there were two calls in this game. There was one that was made and a non-call that did decide or help decide the circumstances by which the Jets had to overcome. First one was a hit by Jordan Whitehead on Justin Jefferson that they called unnecessary roughness. You can look for this online. They claimed, they being the broadcasters, and the referee justification was that Jordan Whitehead led with his head. But if you watch that very slowly, he clearly and emphatically led with his shoulder and made a textbook tackle. It was a hard hit, but it's the freaking NFL. You want to let these guys play? You want to watch the best of the best. You want to watch Sauce Gardner and Justin Jefferson play man-to-man the entire game. Obviously, that's not what happened because the Jets' defense has to adjust and the Vikings' offense had to adjust. But to, to throw a flag like that, I get safety is imperative. But that, to me, was not a that was not a flag that should have been thrown. To me, it was a clean hit. I didn't see him lead with the helmet. I thought it was I thought it was absurd. Second one was on the Alex Madison touchdown, where there was a very clear illegal motion or pre-snap penalty that should have been called that negated the touchdown. Now the defense should not have given up a 14-yard touchdown run straight up the middle of the field. But I thought the Vikings got away with one there. Those are really the only two calls. I, I thought PI is always a tough one to manage. So I'm not going to do that. There was no like roughing the passer calls that you can throw your own child's flag at and call bullshit on. So I guess that was nice. But this game was 20-3 to at the end of the first half. And Mike White did not have a great first half. He got picked off on the first drive on a ball that was tipped. I guess nothing you could do about that. You place it a little bit better, but Corey Davis has to come down with that ball. And he's good for one crucial drop a game, but he'll make that one spectacular catch a game, which he did here. But eventually they they rebounded. It was 3-3 at one point, and then the Vikings went on a run. Jets' offense was really struggling. Uh, Right tackle Max Mitchell was getting worked over by Zadarius Smith. So they replaced him with George Fant, who played a lot better. So that leads me into a conversation that that I do have to really compliment Robert Sala on. And this will tie into the second half. He has been very good this year at second half adjustments when things are not going well, for the most part. We can argue about should he have swapped out Zach Wilson in the Patriot games. Uh, that That's a sort of a separate conversation because I don't think you can do that without the endorsement of the GM to some capacity. But the the defensive shift in the second half was astronomical. They only gave up seven points in the second half. They were getting the key third down stops. They were forcing three and outs. They got sacks. They got pressure on Kirk Cousins, but they couldn't, as good as they played in the second half, they couldn't get that one Kirk Cousins-esque takeaway to give them a better chance to win. So that that was that was tough because I really thought there was going to be that moment where Kirk Cousins was going to throw that gimme interception or fumble the ball, but it wasn't meant to be. So between that and then the Jets' offense having more sustained drives in the second half led them to getting in a position where it was a five-point game, and that's how it ended, 27-22. So I give the Jets credit. I give the coaching staff credit for 
their adjustments because in years past, 20 to 3, in the Todd Bowles era or the Adam Gase era, I'd shut the game off. Be like, all right, that was a waste of my Sunday. What else can I do? You know, back then I didn't have kids and I wasn't married. So it's like, all right, what am I going to do? Now I have things I can actually do. Uh, although I did stay to watch the whole game, which is, it's a nice feeling to have. That I, I don't feel like they're ever truly out of it. And that's a, also a testament to the coaching staff. Since week three against the Bengals, they have not been blown out at all. All their wins and losses have been one score. The games have gone down to the end almost every time. And it's been 50-50. There's been those games that they lose closely on a last-minute WTF type of thing like the punt return against the Patriots. The game where they stopped Josh Allen in the Bills offense on that last drive to win it 20-17. to They blew out the Packers. So we're seeing a variety of ways that the Jets can win. But they just couldn't get it done against the Vikings. And that leads me to my the person I would, if I had to place responsibility on, on who this loss should fall on the most, I have to put it on the OC, Mike LaFleur. And here's why. It's nigh impossible to win a game unless you have, you know, the 2000 Raven defense where you're just kicking field goals. And Greg Zerline has been spectacular. He had a 60-yard field goal in this game. I think he was, yeah, it was 5-for-5 five five on his kicks. But you've got to score touchdowns on the road against a very good team that can put up points. you got to end drives. And I thought he got way too cute in the red zone on multiple instances. It's almost like, and this is me putting on my tinfoil hat and thinking, this could entirely be untrue. I think he still thinks that Zach Wilson is his quarterback. And because of that, has to rely on a lot of trickery, a lot of motion, utilizing him as a runner, which Mike White is not. He's got some mobility, but it's not, you know, I wouldn't put him in a basketball game, if that makes any sense. So I think he was calling plays like he still had Zach Wilson under center. And I get that Brees Hall and Michael Carter, our two running backs, are out. They didn't play. Brees Hall has been gone for several, you know, I think over almost two months at this point. And, you know, Michael Carter didn't play for this game with an ankle injury. So you didn't play your top two running backs, but you still had over 100 yards on the ground. 126 yards on the ground, averaging five yards a carry with Ty Johnson and Bam Knight. These aren't exactly, you know, Adrian Peterson and Edger and James. These are guys who just run between the tackles. They run physical, they run over guys, but I don't think LaFleur was smart enough in the red zone because I don't care how you score the touchdown, but you've got to call up smarter plays. So let me go to the the, the last big drive of the game. First and goal from the five in a five-point game. First and goal. Bam Knight runs for four yards. So now you have second and goal at the one. Throws a pass. Okay, I can live with that as a mulligan. Third down. Third and goal from the one. Throws a fade route in the corner of the end zone. Fourth and goal. Throws a pass that Barrio should have caught, hit him in the hands, had it in his shoulder pads, couldn't come down with it. 
that part hurt. That that was why I think this loss hurt as much as it did was because I thought the game was won, and he didn't come down with it. So you could sort of, if you were in the room with me, which nobody was, Christian was upstairs watching his Giants tie the Commanders. So, yeah, what an exciting day in our household. A loss and a tie that Christian claims felt like a loss. But that Berrios thing hurt. But it should not have come to that. For the I was screaming internally because I didn't want to wake Riker or Harrison up. I was screaming internally, run the effing football. Nothing pisses me off more then third and goal or second and goal from the one, and you're throwing the ball with a game plan that let you have over 100 yards. Your guys were getting contact yardage afterwards, and you got this bowling ball of a running back at James Robinson. Just hand it off to him three times. And if you get stopped, so be it. They played better defense than you. But don't throw the ball on three straight plays with the game on the line because Mike White is not Peyton Manning. I don't care how good you think he is. That reeks of stupidity. You play to win the game. You don't play for style points. So I think LaFleur has done some good things this year, but his his red zone offense, his play calling has got to improve. There's no other way to put it. it I think that's the biggest factor why they lost this game was the, the red zone. You go one for six in the red zone, you're not going to win against the Vikings. You're just not. Now we come to the quarterback. Obviously, his stat line isn't as good as how it looked against the Bears last week. But to go back to the comments I had earlier about people wanting him to fail, if you're someone who is judging Mike White's game based on the box score of, you know, 34 or 57, 300 plus yards, one touchdown, two picks, and you think he had a terrible game, then quite frankly, you don't know what you're talking about. And here's why. The first interception I mentioned was a tip ball by Corey Davis. Second interception was on fourth and goal, just trying to make a play for basically, it wasn't quite a Hail Mary, but it was in that in that ballpark where he was trying to, you know, you got to get the touchdown there on fourth and whatever it was um, that ultimately, you know, that interception ended the game. But he made some throws in this game where my my jaw hit the floor. There was a fourth and 10 where he, after getting belted on third down, and I was worried he was going to come out of the game, he, he launches a ball to Corey Davis in the tightest of window I have seen in a long time. Corey Davis comes down with it, and they're in business. There were some throws to Garrett Wilson, who, in my opinion, and in my lifetime, is the best homegrown jet-wide receiver, definitely as a rookie, that I've seen. Uh, he might be in the Offensive Rookie of the Year discussion. And certainly, without Brees Hall, he kind of got pushed to the side because Brees Hall was the real star. And also, Zach Wilson couldn't get Garrett Wilson the ball as much as Mike White and Joe Flacco do. But... Garrett Wilson had an unbelievable game. He's been money. I think we got our number one guy, which is exciting. But there were some throws Mike White missed. He missed Elijah Elijah Moore wide open in the end zone. He overthrew Garrett Wilson on one ball. That would have been a runaway touchdown. But still, even with that miss, Garrett Wilson finished with 
I don't, I don't know the exact numbers, but he had like a, over 150 yards um, in in this game, you know, uh, receiving. So all in all, it was it was a good effort, but just it wasn't good enough. Oh, he had eight catches for 162 yards. Big get, big game. Not a lot of Jet receivers in my lifetime do that on a consistent basis. But he's been when they've asked him to have those big games, he's he's done it. You know, last week against Chicago, eight catches, 95 yards. The game against Buffalo, nine for 92. First game against New England, seven for 115. So I think we've got our number one wide receiver. That's a key piece of the puzzle in modern NFL. Elijah Moore showing he's the number two, the not. And ultimately, he's been proven right. He asked for that trade request because Zach Wilson physically couldn't get him the ball. If Corey Davis didn't drop so many passes, I'd be more supportive of him. But look, he made the big throw. He made the big catch when he had to. But the the disappointment in this game was Tyler Conklin had three drops, and they were big drops. Like they would have been key conversions. They would have kept games going. For a tight end who's your safety blanket, he had hands of stone on Sunday against his old team, and it played a factor. So I'm kind of embittered by what happened on Sunday because when Berrios had the ball in his hands, I thought it was going to stand. I didn't think he was going to drop it, but when he did, you could sort of feel my soul leave my body. But with that said, they had other opportunities. If any of those other red zone drives turned into a touchdown, if Mike White doesn't throw that second interception on fourth and goal, has another miracle, there were instances to win the game. And it just didn't happen. So it sucks that we lo- we lost, but if you're looking for a silver lining, this team's not getting blown out. They're in every game. They play for Sala. And let's be honest, this is the first time in seven years where the Jets are playing meaningful football in December. I did say that correctly. So if any of you were rewinding, that is indeed a fact. It's unfortunate that they didn't win this game, but this really did not hurt their playoff chances significantly because, A, it's a non-conference loss. So when it comes to tiebreakers, it won't really mess with you. But, B, both the Chargers and the Patriots lost. So your two closest competitors stay behind you and the wild card race. And they still got five games to go. Season's not over. You're still the number seven seed. You didn't lose your playoff spot because that's where they were after they beat Chicago. And you got five games. But this is where I'm going to talk about what do I think is going to happen, my, my crystal ball. You have five games to go. Buffalo, Detroit, Jacksonville, Seattle, Miami. I don't believe 9-8 and eight gets you into the playoffs unless the Chargers and Patriots keep losing. Because, look, if all three of those teams lose out, the Jets get the seventh spot, basically. But I don't think two of five wins, I don't think 9-8 and eight gets you in because the Chargers have a much easier schedule than the Jets do. But also the Chargers could beat the Raiders, so who knows. And the Patriots have games against the Cardinals and the Raiders, which are not gimmies, but... I give them a puncher's chance to win those. When you look at the Jets' five teams, Buffalo is the class of the division. They're the number one seed. Detroit is playing very hard. Jacksonville's turned into another gear. 
Seattle's kind of fallen back to earth, but Seattle's a tough place to play. And you end the game or end the season at Miami where the Dolphins might be fighting for a playoff spot themselves. Hell, they might be fighting for the division. Let's say the Jets beat the Bills and Miami wins against the Chargers. Then Miami takes the number one spot because they have the tiebreaker over Buffalo. And the Jets would have two wins over Buffalo. So God forbid it came down to tiebreakers, Buffalo might be in some trouble. I think the Jets have to win three of their last five. I believe 10 and 7 is enough to get you in that seven spot. I really don't think it's it's 9 and 8 is going to be good enough. Would I take 9 and 8? Yes, because I want a winning season more than anything. It's been so long. I feel like Rose and Titanic, it's been 84 years since the Jets have had a winning season. Actually, it was 2015. But look at what, ha- what has happened in my life over the last seven years versus what's happened as a Jet fan the last seven years. It puts some tread on my tires, so to speak. I'm not going to call Buffalo a must-win, but losing that game puts you in a significant hole where you basically have to win three of four to end the season. Do I think they will beat Buffalo? If you ask me, I think Buffalo is going to win. I give them an 80% chance to to beat the Jets. The 20% comes from it's a division game, and the Jets beat them last time. And even though it was a three-point game, the defense befuddled Josh Allen and company. So if they can do that again, I give them a bit more of a chance because, look, I think Mike White is playing better than Zach Wilson did. And if you think I'm lying, the last drive of the game in the Buffalo game, they ran the ball. Nine times out of ten on the last field goal drive. So they didn't ask Zach Wilson to do much outside of make one throw on a third down conversion in the red zone. But outside of that, it was the run game. And Michael Carter should be back next week. I think that's going to help out a lot. I really want them to get James Robinson involved in the run game. You need a one-two punch against the Bills, and they're not great against the run. So I would expect a similar game plan, but they're also going to make adjustments because Buffalo is still fighting for the number one seed. And I I honestly don't think they can get to the Super Bowl without him. Not to discredit them, but when I look at teams like the Bengals, who can travel, I look at teams like the Chiefs, who will always give the Bills a run for their money. You look at the Dolphins, I think the Dolphins could upset Buffalo in Buffalo. It's going to depend on Tua's health and the, the weather. But I think Buffalo, their chances are much better with that fan base, with that energy if the playoffs run through there than if they have to go on the road for the vast majority. So there's a lot to play for this week. There's a lot riding on it. I love that it's a one o'clock game, but Jim Nance and Tony Romo have the call. goes to show that the Jets actually have some credibility, which is nice. I think nine and a half and the line might go up to 10. I think that's ridiculous considering the Jets have played well. They've They've covered almost all their games. They're they're not getting their doors blown off. They got a very respectable defense and an offense that is clicking more under Mike White. So anything can happen. But if they if they win that game, you give yourself a little bit of a wiggle room, especially if the Chargers lose to the Dolphins and the Patriots lose to the Cardinals, which I I, I buy more stock in the first thing happening than the second. But if both happen in the Patriot and the Jets win, that's the ideal scenario. 
Because look at those other teams that are quote unquote on the fringe, like Cleveland and Pittsburgh. Jets have tiebreakers over both of them because they beat them. So I do believe this will come down to the last week of the season, which is exciting. And am I going to be upset if they miss the playoffs? Yes, to a point. Because I'm just I'm I'm happy that the Jets are relevant. I'm happy that they're in every game. They're in a position to make a run, but I'm not going to put the cart before the horse because I can't fully invest in a team that loses to New England in two games when I know that their talent doesn't match their production. And the way those games were lost is why I refuse to believe that they're actually a viable playoff team. But if they win three of their next five, and let's say they beat Buffalo, Jacksonville, and Miami, or Buffalo, Jacksonville, Seattle, some combination. Who knows? The playoffs, anything can happen. But you got to get there first. So I don't want to hear people saying that the Jets are a playoff lock or anything like that. We just got to one game at a time. I think that's the going to be my mantra, just one game at a time. I don't want to hear about what other teams are doing unless it's the last week of the season and I'm waiting, box score checking to see if one of the teams loses so we can get in. But I want to take care of business. I want to control my own destiny. And you got to win against Buffalo. It's not a must win, but your path gets a heck of a lot easier. Especially if you sweep Buffalo, which I couldn't tell you the last time that's happened. You give yourself a, a very viable chance. So that's my take. I'm excited for the game on Sunday. It's going to have big energy feel. I think it'll be a very close game, very competitive. And I'm excited. I don't think they're going to win, but I will not be the least bit surprised if they pull it off. So thank you all very much for listening, and be sure to keep with us all here. Thank you.